My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. When you think about the word Christian, what comes to mind? In some realms, in some communities, in some locations, maybe work or school, if you were to say you were a Christian, what kind of response would that elicit? Or more importantly, what would that mean to you? What, what do you mean when you say, I'm a Christian? Uh, if, if you take a look at uh, Barna polls, George Barna does these polls, you'll see that there are three categories of, and I put it in quotes, Christians, because it may not mean that. Um, there's the first category, which is really just a cultural Christian, a cultural Christian in America. I'm speaking about America. If you're watching overseas, it may not apply to you. But in the United States of America, a lot of people, in fact, polls say about a third, about a third of people who call themselves Christian are kind of culturally Christians. In America today, 76, I'll give it 75% of people say they're Christian. I know that's not true because <laughs> I watch the news and I, I see what's going on in our world today. But let's just, for the benefit of the doubt, say that three quarters of Americans identify as a Christian. The first category of people who say they're a Christian are Christian because they're not something else. They're not an atheist. They're not a Muslim. They're not a Jew. They're not a fill in the blank. And so therefore, they're a Christian. They identify being a Christian because they're maybe born in this country. I know that was me as a child. I don't know what it was, went to church sporadically as a kid, but I remember just thinking, of course I'm a Christian, I'm an American. That's, they go hand in hand, right? It's God and country or country and God, you know? And so that's kind of what my understanding was. Of course I'm a Christian, I'm an American. I believe in that system because I'm not something else. So about a third of people say it that way. Another third of people, they're what we would call convenient or church-going Christians. Uh, when it's convenient, they go to church, but they identify with a church, maybe because they've attended as a child or they went there for Christmas and Easter. I love it. In love, we say we have a lot of C&E Christians. They're Christmas and Easter or the Lily and Poinsettia crowd. We talk about it, that people come in, you know, in droves Christmas and Easter because you got to check in every once in a while with God, right? And if you're a Catholic, 
automatic. You know, you go and you say your, you know, your, your prayers and, and you do your confession. You do that. Protestants, we just go to church at Christmas and Easter and we check the box, right? And uh, I remember that. I remember, you know, as a kid, just like, hey, you went to church enough, right? I didn't know what was enough, but I knew that what I was doing was enough, right? We did it for a while and we fell back. We did it for a while and checked out different groups and everything. You go to church, but Christian basically is because you've checked a box. You are a churchgoer. And I'm, I'm thankful for people who come to church. God bless you for coming or watching online. This is great. But is there anything deeper than that? Because then finally, that's a third, but the final third of people who call themselves Christians, which would be at most 25% of the nation, would be called a convictional Christian, someone who actually has had a spiritual experience with God. They've actually had an experience where Jesus says, born again, that they know they've encountered God. And maybe when they were young, we talked about that with Reset pretty much every week. We had an encounter with God as a youth. That was me when I was in high school. Um, Or we encountered God because of transition or tension or trouble in a difficult time. We came and we encountered God. And we know that there's a relationship. I'm not sure what the level is for you, but you could say, I have a spiritual connection with God. And when I call myself a Christian, it means something. And so I guess the question, and we'll talk about this, is what category would you put yourself in? Would you put yourself in a cultural Christian? That was me the first, you know, 14, 15 years of my life, as well as a church-going Christian. We would go, mom, we'd go to grandma and grandpa's church in Frankfurt there. We'd go to California and Petaluma. We'd go to different churches, you know, but that didn't mean we had had a spiritual experience Or would you categorize yourself as someone, hey, I know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. And it means something to you. And so the question that I want to ask today, and this is really my big idea is this, is that when you call yourself a Christian, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's a question I want you to consider. Um, Because one of the scariest passages in the Bible Um, comes to us from the words of Jesus when he spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. And let me read it to you. It says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, speaking of the future, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now, gosh, I don't know what to do with that. Because I'd have to be honest, I've never prophesied in his name unless the prophecy of like calling people out or declaring the word. I've never cast out demons. I've served in junior high ministry for years. That's close, okay? I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I was a youth pastor, so I can rip on us youth pastors. And perform many miracles in your name. I've, I've not performed any miracles. And people who said, Lord, we did all these things, let us in. He's going to say, no, depart from me. You didn't know me. Now that is scary to me. And here's why it's scary. As a pastor, I've been the senior pastor for 23 years here. It's crazy. I love you guys. But every time I get up here, I've got this burden that I don't want people just to hear a message. I want them to be changed. And I have a part in that. God has a part, but you have a part in that. You have a part in that. And I don't want you to just to think, well, I'm a cultural Christian or I'm a church-going Christian. 
I want you to know what it means to truly be welcomed in by Jesus one day as a good and faithful servant, as a son or daughter of the Most High. Because otherwise, we could just go to church and fool ourselves into thinking we're in. And that is why we've been doing this reset series. I wanted to start over, go to the very beginning of the gospel and slow walk it through to get us to this point where we just want to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to name the name of Jesus Christ? You know, untold numbers of people have committed themselves to going to church. Untold numbers of people have prayed a prayer. They've received Jesus into their heart and they call themselves a Christians, Christian. And I have news for you. Jesus never invited anyone to do those three things. He invited people to follow him. And that, my friends, is different. In fact, thankfully, we get examples of this in the New Testament. And I want to focus on Matthew today, the book of Matthew. And so if you have a, a Bible, you could turn there, Matthew four seventeen to 22. We're going to take a look at some examples of what this means to follow Jesus. So one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, so Jesus is starting his public ministry up in the northern part of the country, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, so Peter and Andrew, their brothers, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. I mean, just imagine this. A normal day, they're just doing the work. All right. If you've watched The Chosen, they dramatize it. They do just such a beautiful job of that. I think that's in season one. It's so good. You can take a look at that on YouTube. But if, if you've watched that, you know there's the drama of that. That they have busy lives. They have busy responsibilities. This is a business. This is an endeavor. This is the rest of my life. I've been raised to do this. I've been trained to do this. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes up and says, hey, follow me. And they dropped their nets. They left their boats. And they followed Jesus. That's significant. Then it goes on to say, in the next text there, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Same situation, James and John. They're hanging out with their dad. They're the, the sons of thunder, uh, they're later nicknamed. And um, they're, they're just fishing, right? They're hanging out with their dad. They're going to inherit the business. That's just how it works in the ancient day. You just worked your way up. And, and that all of a sudden, Jesus comes up and he invites them, come follow me. And they leave everything and they go and follow Jesus. Now, what's really important to understand there is that Jesus invited them to follow and he said, I will make you a fisher of men. Now, it's convenient because they were fishermen, right? Maybe if he were to invite you at Intel, he'd say, and I will make you silicon engineers. I have no idea what he'd make. Who make more silicon engineers? I don't know, okay? But the fact is, is that he used a metaphor that was perfect for their life. He said, follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. Which, you, you got to hear this from my heart, friends. If you're not fishing, you're not following. It's really important. You can't follow a fisherman and not become a fisherman and lie a little bit about how long the catch was, right? Okay. If you want to fish for people, Jesus said, it's because you're following me. And if you're following me, you'll fish for people. That's, Jesus said, I will teach you how to fish for people. 
We use the terms later, because if you look back now, you could say disciple, make disciples. Because not all the early followers were fishermen, some were. But you've been called to be a disciple, to be made into a disciple by Jesus so that you would make more disciples. And if you're a disciple that doesn't make disciples, you're not really a disciple. Because a disciple is a learner, a follower, intent on becoming like their master. And that's exactly what the master did. And he invited us. In fact, he commanded us to this. And so when Jesus was on the earth, this is what he did. He just called people to follow him. And look what it cost him. Family, right? It cost them uh, finances. It cost them all of the issues of their future. It, it revolutionized their faith. And it was this significant moment when they, in a sense, burned the boats and followed Jesus. They left their old life and they followed Jesus. Now, I know there's a tension in your heart because there's one in mine. That'd be great if I were a fisherman in Galilee. <laughs> That'd be easy if Jesus walked up to me. But how do I do that today? Well, another story, and it's a little bit down in Matthew 9. It's about Matthew or Levi's following of Jesus. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth, which is a big no-no because he's turned against his own people to work for the Romans. So he's hated of all people. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now here's, don't miss it. It's so easy to miss it. Jesus said, follow me. And they followed him, right? Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, Andrew, I got an idea. I got a sticker. Would you put it on your boat? And would you tell everybody you're one of my followers? But I'm not asking you to follow. I'm not asking you to like do a radical thing in your life. I want you just to add me to one of your prayers. Add me to one of your things. Just let everybody know that you're one of my followers. But you don't actually have to follow. Matthew, sitting at the tax collecting booth. Man, that's a lot of bank. That's a lot of money you're making there. You're probably really wealthy. And, um, and you're working for the Roman government, which has the, all the protection you need. Um, but I'm not asking you to leave all that because I know that money is important. In fact, why don't you stay in that business and you can fund my ministry. And you can say you're a follower, but you don't actually need to follow. That's ridiculous, right? Because followers follow. Jesus didn't invite us to become a Christian. He didn't invite us to check a box because we're not something else. He didn't invite us to put a sticker on our car and say that's who we are. He invited us to leave everything and follow. Now, just like the fishermen, built into following is going to be this inclination, desire to get more people to follow. That's exactly what happens to Matthew. Look at this. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors. Why? Because Matthew's a tax collector, right? Joe Aldrich used to say that within 18 months, Joe Aldrich was a, anyway, he was a great leader and pastor and author about evangelism. Um, he passed away, but he used to say that within 18 months of following Jesus, you lose all your non-followers, which is really tragic because all you only hang out with Christians now. You don't have any connection with lost people. That's a tragedy, okay? So Matthew keeps that connection, all right? And he goes and invites other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, that's like the bottom of the barrel, the, the low life, the scum of the earth. In fact, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Isn't that awesome? What a, what a, that's great, right? 
I mean, today, try that. At the fellowship time afterwards, we got a little meal there after you sponsor a child. Go back there and hang out and come up to James, me, and go, James, why do you eat with such scum? See, seriously? See, that's what religion does to you. It makes you self-righteous. Jesus makes you broken for the hurting and the lost. Jesus, Jesus makes you tender and compassionate because he saved you and you're nothing. But man, if he could save you, he could save your friends, right? If he reached out to you and your condition, he can reach out to others just like you. And you develop a heart for the hurting and the broken. That's what Jesus does. Religion makes you pretty, you know, self-righteous and stiff upper lip and all that other stuff. And look at that attitude. Well, look what Jesus' reply is. He says this. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. In other words, I don't want you just to say you're a follower of me because you do all the religious duty. Okay, and it's not wrong to do religious duty. There were laws and there were commands. He's not saying don't do those. He's just saying those are important. But what's really important is a heart. You could tithe and you could, you know, do all your stuff and give all your gifts at the altar. But what really matters is that you love people and you serve people and you sacrifice for people. He says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And that's a delineation right there. Some people think they're righteous. And maybe they're even Christians. But they don't know they're a sinner. But see, true followers of Jesus know they're sinners in need of a savior. And they follow Jesus because he's the one that saved us. Now, you think about it. These guys... Who are they? Who is Matthew? How is Peter? Who is Andrew? Who is James? Who is John? You just list all the other disciples. Who are they? They were nobodies. They were not the elite. They were not the educated. They were not the rich. They were not the powerful. They were not the ones that you would choose first in PE, in class, all right, in elementary school. They're the people you would just go, I don't want him. Do you want him? Seriously, you want her on your team? It's like, well, I'll take him because... Nobody else. You know, it's, it's not like that, you know, in the world today. We look to high people, important people. Jesus looked down the line and goes, I want those people that nobody else wants. They were the ones, though, that had a true heart change with Jesus. They were the most spiritually unqualified people. Um, but Jesus called them. And because Jesus called, they followed. And they knew what it meant to follow Jesus. I love reading the stories of Jesus and his disciples and and um, I just did that in the last couple of weeks in my Bible reading. And um, you just read all those stories. And I love to imagine myself in those places and figure out what would I do? How would I do it? Because then I kind of snap out of it and go, well, here I am. I own a house. I'm a pastor at a church. You know, I, I do this. I do that. What would it look like for me to follow like they followed? How do I transfer that? Because it's a tension. It'd be so easy to say, well, if Jesus would hear, I'd follow him follow him. Jesus is here spiritually and he still invites us to follow, but what does it look like? I mean, these guys had jobs. They had families, right? They had hobbies. They had expectations. They had people waiting on them, right? This was life like you and me. They had a real life like you and I have a real life. And yet one day Jesus walked up and he invited them not to become a Christian, not to say a prayer and not to invite him into their heart. He invited them to follow. And they followed, and they knew what it meant to follow. And they took it literally, and they gave their lives for this. Okay, okay but, but Pastor James, 
isn't there like another option? Like, can I just come to a comfortable church and uh, sit in comfortable chairs, you know, uh, sing some comfortable songs, hear a comfortable sermon, and go comfortably home? I'm like, well, yeah, you can. And we're not going to argue with you. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not going to shut the door on you. But you're not getting Jesus. You're getting consumeristic, comfortable Christianity at that point. And, and that, maybe that's not a bad place to start. It's a horrible place to end, though. <laughs> if that's what draws you, great. You know, if a friend invited you or if someone is calling you into this, that's wonderful. But take a step to follow because that's the only thing Jesus invited these guys to do. Um, when you look at church history, um, which I love to, um, I put a post on Facebook about the, um, I'm going to say benefits, but the way uh, religion in America has changed America and the world, the value, the benefits of a follower of Jesus and always, uh, it's pretty amazing to see that. But when you look at these guys who were just starting it, what, what, what does it tell us? 35 years after this call, Peter was crucified upside down. 40 years after Jesus called Andrew, Andrew was crucified. 15 years after James was called, he was beheaded. John was thrown into burning, boiling oil, and he didn't die. And the emperor, in frustration and anger, exiled him to a little island called Patmos, where the book of Revelation was written. 30 years later, Jesus, uh, Matthew was beheaded, all for following Jesus. They all died horrible deaths because they knew what it meant to follow but somehow they believed it was worth it. Somehow they believed the cost to follow Jesus was worth it because the payoff was more than anything that they could ever get in their life that was offered by this life. And I think that churches are filled in America with Christians who don't really follow. In fact, what's been fascinating as I hang out with pastors in the Northwest and, and actually around the nation, that... Uh, the uh, George Barna poll is true. About 32, we'll say a third of people have stopped coming to church. Just stopped coming to church because of COVID. You know why? They got out of the habit and they're okay with that. And so that's that cultural or church-going Christian that they go like, I don't think I need it anymore. To that I go, fine, we'll be here. <laughs> we'll still be sharing Christ. We'll still be loving on Jesus. If you got an issue, come back. But I think there's a goodness to that because here's why. Statistics tell us, and this comes from a survey we did called Reveal, that the longer a person comes to church without coming to Christ, the more hardened their heart gets to actually coming to Christ. And you think that would be the opposite, that their heart softens over and over again. No, it's because religion creeps in. And religion hardens your heart and convinces you that you are good enough because you pray because you read the Bible, because you go to small group, because you give, because you serve, because you do all those things, right? But that's not what Jesus has invited us into. He's invited us into one thing, and that's to follow. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, all show us that the call to follow Jesus was not just an invitation to pray or check a box or receive him into the heart or to say I'm a Christian. It was an invitation to die. In fact, I love Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer's quote, in the cost. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's one of the things that will never be shaken in my heart when I read that as a college student. Because there's a huge gap of 2,000 years between Jesus and me, right? Jesus and you. 
And yeah, I could understand if I were a tax collector, if I were a fisherman, but you are you. You're a student, you're a worker, you're a homemaker, you're a retired person, you're still trying to figure your life out, whatever. And Jesus is still calling people to follow him. And that means death. Death to yourself. Death to your old life. Death to your desires. And when you pick up the cross and follow him, everything changes. You can't follow Jesus on your own terms. In fact, I want to show you some guys that thought they could. Take a look at this. This is in Luke. This is great. Uh, Luke chapter 9. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds great. Sounds promising, right? But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. Whoa, 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 Jesus, we got to improve your marketing scheme here. That's not a good way to get more followers. Okay, let's go on to the next one. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Jesus, you're not listening to the focus group here. The focus group says, be a little nicer about this. Have tears and options for people, right? Finally, look at this one. Another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. In other words, Jesus is saying, unless you're willing to die to your dreams and your desires, to yourself, take up my cross, Jesus says over and over again, you're not worthy being my disciple because he was going to a cross. And that's ultimately what it means to follow Jesus is to die to ourself. Everybody here wanted to follow Jesus on their own terms. And Jesus was bad at negotiating. He was horrible at negotiating. It was all or nothing. Come on, Jesus. Can you give me a little bit of credit? No, all or nothing. You follow me or you don't. You don't follow me half. You don't follow me a quarter. Following means you die to yourself and your old life and you take up a cross and you become like me and you change the world. You can't come to Jesus on your own terms. And I wrote this down. If your life does not reflect the fruit of following Jesus, then I think it's probably foolish to think you're actually following Jesus in the first place. Because if you call yourself a teacher, but you have no students, like, I don't know, you know, I'm an instructor, but nobody's, you know, being instructed. I'm a president, but I don't have a country. I'm a principal, but I don't have a school, right? I'm a CEO, but I don't have a business, right? I'm a painter, but I don't have any paint, right? I don't have any brushes. I'm a Christian, but I don't look like Christ. To be a follower means to do exactly that, to follow Friends, don't be deceived. I just want to wrap up, reset with this. Don't be deceived. Your relationship with Jesus, your status before God are not based upon a decision you made, a prayer you prayed, a card you signed, a hand you raised. It's all about Jesus and his invitation to follow you, follow him. I know when I did that at 15 years old, man, it it jumped, it spurted, it sparked. I had highs and lows through my whole life, you know, but the fact is, is that it changed everything for me. I was headed in one direction and God moved me and put me in another direction. I never, ever, ever thought I'd be a pastor, you know, especially of adults. Maybe, you know, youth pastor was what I headed into. I never imagined this. I never imagined I would spend over 30 years in pastoral ministry. I wanted to make money in the business world, which is not a bad thing, but that became my idol. And I had to die to that. 
I never knew that as time went on, we'd see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come and receive Christ. I never knew any of that. But I just made a decision to follow. In the tension of that moment, when I didn't see that anything looked a lot different, I decided to follow. And so many of us have the same story. Our lives were different. Maybe we didn't change our jobs. Maybe we didn't, you know, move professions or something like that. But we became a disciple maker. Someone who made disciples. We were following Jesus and making more followers of Jesus. I want to say it this way. And this is this, you know, real big idea. Salvation is a free gift. It costs you nothing. Jesus did all the work. But following Jesus will cost you everything. It is a free gift. I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about receiving a free gift. But that free gift changes everything. And if it doesn't change everything, I think maybe you just prayed a prayer. I think you just checked a box. Discipleship, following Jesus, will cost you everything. And I can't guarantee, I don't know where it's going to end up. And the tension, I know it's there, it's in my heart. It was just with this sermon, it's like, okay, but what about today? What about in 2021, going on 2022? What about, you know, in this age we live in, what does it look like to do that? Because I'm not a fisherman. I'm not a tax collector. I'm not, you know, those guys or gals. I'm just here. And Jesus isn't physically here. I know the tension of this message because I experience it myself. As I invite people to follow Jesus, And it's you have to die to your old life because Jesus has a far better life for you. Focused on him, his mission, and focused on the kingdom of God. We're going to do communion. We're going to pray. We're going to do the offering. We're going to do some songs. But then I'm going to come back up. We're going to do our benediction. But I want to invite you to come up to our prayer team. If you want more, if you want more than just checking a box, because we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to just write your name and number down and just follow up. I'd love to do that. I'm not preaching the next couple weekends. That'd be awesome. I get a break, you know, and uh, I'd love to be able just to make a phone call, send an email, walk us through this because this is eternity at stake, my friends. Let's pray. God in this reset, may it truly be that that you have reset our lives towards Jesus. That in fact, Jesus himself, because for the sake of the call, called us and that we would die to our old life, that was the reset. Maybe, Father, we've been a good churchgoer. We've been coming, coming in the building. We've been doing this stuff, watching online. God, may it be more than that. May it be a true encounter with you through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we just have religion. And religion makes us Pharisees and self-righteous. But Jesus breaks our heart for the things that break his heart. He moves our heart to serve the people he served. He changes us to see other people changed. And that, that's worth signing up for. That's worth giving up our very lives for. So may that be what we have done. And if not, Lord, may we just come to terms with that. And be honest about it. And if we're online, we can just say that. We can get some encouragement, someone to contact us. In this room, may we be bold enough to come up and say, I want to follow Jesus. Start there. We pray in your name. Amen.